Amen. Good morning and such a privilege to be here. My name is Matt. I'm just going to move some stuff around. How are we all this morning? Excited? Excited for church? I always say to our church that the best place to be on a Sunday morning is in church, not in bed. And it is really a privilege to just share this moment. Um, I want to just do a little bit of introduction because I'm so aware that this is not just a good moment to give a message, but actually to impart something of uh, what God has placed on my life and what God wants to do in this season. Can I pull this? So I, I do walk around a lot. Uh, back in our home church, we've got these things without cords, so it's easy. I can go there and start talking. Uh, but I, I, love, I love what God is doing around the world. And it's no different here as, as, as in South Africa. Uh, we've probably just got a bit more crime and a bit more uh, grime, as they call it, on the streets. Uh, a lot of rubbish everywhere. But the same heart remains. The Father heart of God is to restore people back to himself. And that's the heart that I want to bring this morning because I do believe that in this region and this area, God has called a people like you to restore his heart back to people. He's a father that loves He's a father that loves so much that he chose to send his only son uh, to die as us and to reconcile us back to himself. And that's not just a great Sunday school message. It's not just a great Easter service message. It is the reality that we were orphans and estranged and enemies of God due to sin. But God in his infinite grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness chose to bridge that gap uh, and restore us because he was fueled by love. He loves you. He loves you this morning, and it really is such a privilege to be able to communicate. So I'm from South Africa, a place called Howick, uh, H-O-W-I-C-K, and it is in the Midlands, which is, I was telling um, Neil last night, it's probably the most like this area in South Africa. Lots of farms, lots of green grass, although your grass is much greener than our grass. Uh, they always say the grass is greener on the other side. It literally is true when you come to a place like this. Uh, but we have lots of farms. We have lots of um, you know, just open spaces, beautiful spaces. Uh, so I feel kind of at home being here this morning. And, um, and, and our, our hearts as a church community, our mission is transformation through the manifest presence of God. Uh, and we, we lead a community of people, about 300 uh, or so in, this, in Howick, uh, lead pastors at Oasis Church. Uh, but we also planted a school 10 years ago to see young people encounter Jesus in the classroom. And uh, we've got loads of stories about that. It's also run an organization called Love Howick, which is a nonprofit company. And our aim is to see uh, people on the streets encounter Jesus through practical means. Uh, and so we look at the pain areas of our community and we say, God, what is your kingdom solution here? What does the resurrection life of Jesus look like within this area that's dead and decaying, uh, that we carry hope and we carry life into those areas? And so we've got a number of projects on the go. Um, you can go look it up, lovehowick.com. But I think my greatest call, and I want you to put up that picture if you can, um, is is to be a good husband and a good father. And so you'll see there's my family, a good-looking bunch. I don't know about the guy in the back, but the rest are good-looking. There's my wife, Donnie. She's a powerhouse uh, for all the ladies in the house. Without our wives, I don't think we would be able to do what we can do. Can I get an amen from the ladies? 
uh, strong. Uh, she carries an incredible preaching gift, teaching gifts, uh, counsels a lot. She co-leads the church with me. We believe in co-leadership, and so together we lead the, the church community. Uh, they've my, my oldest daughter on your right there, 10 years old. Her name is Tokoa, which means blast of a trumpet. And I didn't realize by naming her Blast of a Trumpet that our house would be extremely noisy. Uh, she is a dancer, a worshiper, uh, incredibly bright, incredibly a first child. I think all first kids are hyper-responsible. Any first kids in the... It's like they, they so... They, she, if, if, if something happened to my wife, my daughter could run our household. That's just how responsible she is. And uh, then my oldest son, he's the one with the sheriff badge on. His name is Caden, which means friend of God and really just a soft heart, a uh, real um, David's heart just to, he loves people, loves Jesus. Uh, he, he's the sensitive one of all of us. The rest of us are quite fiery. Uh, he's the one that balances us and um, keeps us grounded. Then we've got Leden. He's got the other, he's the, he's the third. Um, his name means to laugh and he has a laugh a minute. He's the joker of the family. I'm quite serious, and so Leiden keeps me on my toes. He's always making jokes. He's always pulling pranks. He's always the loudest. Uh, the other day, I was um, just talking to my, my sons, and they were, I thought, oh, what did you do today? He said, Dad, we started to wrestle. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. And um, they decided to name themselves. Uh, you know, as all wrestlers do, they kind of take on a persona. And so my oldest son was, uh, I think he was going for the whole, um, uh, the, you know, the, the, trying to pattern himself on previous wrestlers. So he called himself Bill Johnson, which I don't think is the right name, but, you know, you get the idea. But then my, my, my youngest son decided that he was going to call himself a name just to describe how he wrestled. Uh, and his name was Skunky. And I said to I said to Caden, why do you why did he why do you call himself Skunky? And he said, Dad, you have no idea. Every time I get him in a lock, every time I get him in a grip, and, and I think I'm going to win this fight, he begins to fart, <laughs> and he literally turns the whole fight around, and he begins to win. And so that's why he got the name Skunky. And so I said, well, that sounds about right. So there's the joker of the family. And then our little girl, uh, that picture was taken about a, about a year ago, uh, Taya Ruby, um, means bearer of lights, and she's also a laugh a minute and fiery. Uh, you can see the red hair coming out there. And so that's my beautiful group. And so... We, yeah, we, as, as all families, um, we're not the perfect family, but we love each other. And I think that's what counts the most. Great. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 20. We're going to jump in right there. I can just, can I give this to you just so I have some space here? Great. So... I want to talk to you this morning, um, just a word that I had for this church and, uh, and um, just the heart, I believe, the heart of heaven for, for this group. Um, John chapter 20 is the story, it's called the Apostles' Commission. And it's a great, uh, it's a great story, it's a great little um, anecdote to what God has richly called us to as the church. But you'll see it, it's a, and I'm just going to paraphrase um, just, just for time's sake, and then we're going to get into just another portion of scripture, which I'm actually going to teach from a bit, a bit deeper. 
But it says this, the same day at evening before the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Can we say fear? Fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And I want to stop there for a minute because I do believe that the greatest call over the church right now is to understand that God himself has chosen us to send us. That all throughout creation, God was looking for a people that would take his heart and he would, they would be sent into a community to transform the culture around them. Every single one of us have not come to Jesus for just our own benefit. We've come to Jesus uh, and we've entered through Jesus into a new and living hope in Christ. Who become the sons and daughters of God, who carry the DNA and the fiber of who God is. And everywhere we go, we take that pattern and that purpose and we make it known to those around us. I love the idea that every single one of us carries something that God intends to, to, to use to reach people around us. And we see that here the disciples were gathered and all around uh, through the preparation of, of, of Jesus, uh, his resurrection and his ascension, he was saying the same thing. He says, I'm going to go one day and you are going to carry this into all the worlds. You are going to go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, and we sit in church Sunday after Sunday and sometimes we don't know what that looks like. And so I want to just speak into that a little bit and hopefully give you some, some, some keys as to how we can live in that space. But we see in this scripture that Jesus rocked up and what did he encounter? He encountered a group of people that had spent time with him for the last three years. They knew him. They had been empowered by grace. They'd been under, they they'd understood the, the commission that God was going was to send them into the world to be disciples, to be those that changed and brought change to the world around them. But here they were tapped up in fear. And I think that sums up the church nowadays is that we are, we are, we are scared more than we are bold. We are scared more than we, than we are, uh, you know, confident in who God's called us to be and this word that we carry into the world around us. And we see the church in that space and he rocks up and, and his greatest, um, turning point moment, his greatest instruction with them, the greatest thing that the, that he brought to them in that moment, he said, peace be with you. Because it's the peace of God that changes the environment around us. It first starts within us and then it comes around us. And I, I honestly believe that this church community has been called in this moment to be sent into this community to transform it. But it's going to come after one thing. And that's when we encounter the peace of God. That's when we walk into a place of knowing that peace is within us. And that definition of peace means nothing broken, nothing hidden, nothing lost. And that's what I want to talk in today, if, if we can go down that route. Just a little story just to, um, just to help illustrate this point is when my third child was born, Leiden, um, great celebration, great moments. Uh, you know, when that moment when the child comes full of, blood and guts and all these kind of things and dripping with, you know, it's, it's only a parent that can look in that moment and be so satisfied uh, with what they see in front of them. And all the, the ooing and the ahhing, and that's beautiful. Uh, most people in those situations look at that and go, well, that's just, that's just 
not nice. Uh, but when you're a parent and you've got a father or mother's heart, you look at that and it's just so beautiful. Anyone been in those moments? Uh, childbirth is just such a beautiful experience, painful but beautiful. Uh, some of those oxymorons of life. Uh, but in that moment, we, we sat and we... Um, and, and coming out of uh, you know, wheeling our child back, uh, we noticed that he was a bit blue around his mouth, that his chest was a bit indented. Uh, we've had two kids before that, so we kind of knew the signs to look out for. And, and as, we were, as we were coming back to the room, uh, this kind of panic set in because I thought, and, and, and I didn't want to tell my wife because she had just gone through childbirth, and you, you don't spring uh, fear and anxiety onto a a woman that's just gone through child labor. You kind of let her, you know, just have a bit of a peaceful moment and enjoy it. And so a day or two went by, and our tradition on the third day is that we go um, out of maternity ward in the hospitals in South Africa. There's always a coffee shop, and so we sit down and have a moment together just to celebrate what God has done. And so we were in one of those moments having a, uh, a good coffee, and uh, good coffee always makes life better. And we were sitting there, and all of a sudden, over the intercom throughout the hospital came this, uh, this booming voice saying, will Mr. and Mrs. Hogarty please return back to maternity ward? Uh, the pediatrician wants to see you. Now, how many of you know that that call over the intercom is not usually to say the pediatrician wants to sit down and have a nice chit-chat with you? Uh, it usually means that there is something that, that, they, that is serious that they want to talk, talk about. So I am... Um, I ran up the stairs um, on the way and I meet this big German pediatrician in the corridor and he says, I want to talk to you. Uh, and I, at that point, um, I knew something was wrong and I knew, I knew that this wasn't a good conversation. And so he's, he, in the middle of the corridor, he didn't even take us to his office. He didn't even give us the courtesy of sitting down uh, in a nice, comfortable chair just so that we could grab ourselves afterwards. But in the middle of the corridor, he said, for the last three days, I've picked up a hole in your child's heart. I picked up a heart murmur, and I haven't wanted to say anything because I wanted to make absolutely sure that this is the problem, and this is, uh, and we've got some decisions to make. We've got some, um, we, we know, we, are we are we going to go to surgery? Are we? What are we going to do? And he said, I want to I want to bring in a specialist from outside to do an echo test, which is a test that goes inside the heart and obviously looks at all the different uh, eight the ventricles and the the. I mean, I don't know all the terminology, but this person's coming in an hour's time from a neighboring city and they specialize in infant testing. And so we want to just check this heart out before we decide what we're going to do. And so in that moment, as a parent, we have two choices. We either run, screaming, uh, or we choose to nest in the safety of knowing that God's got this. And I must say, the, the, the running and screaming and panicking was probably more tempting in that moment because that's just the natural reaction. Uh, but I remember going back to, to the room and we sat down as a couple and we said, we have a choice to make in this moment. Do we let fear and anxiety shut us down or do we allow the peace, the Prince of Peace to walk into this moment? And declare and release over us what he released over his disciples in that moment. Peace be with you. And the most beautiful thing hap happened. I can remember the day so clearly. Is that we sat there and we said, God, we know that you are good. 
We know that you work all things to the good of those who love you. And we sat praying. We said, Jesus, we sit here with our door locked in fear of what the outside world is going to say, of what these test results are going to tell us, of what the future looks like for this young boy, of what, uh, what could happen. And your mind sometimes goes there. In fact, all the time goes there. But we make a choice today to allow the Prince of Peace to step into this room. And in a moment, it was like every single thing changed and the atmosphere around us began to change from one of panic and anxiety and fear to one of peace. And we sat down and I fell asleep. It was the most beautiful thing. And, I, and, I, and I, I can't, I've had many moments like this. And it's not normal in the midst of those type of waiting for the, the, the test results, waiting for someone to come, waiting for all of these things to fall asleep. And we had the most beautiful moments of resting in the presence of God, resting in the shalom, the peace of God, nothing hidden, nothing broken, nothing chaotic, because we chose to partner with something bigger than us. And it was a good thing because what was supposed to happen in an hour that the tests, the lady was supposed to come, she got called to an emergency. And so almost 10 hours later, she arrived. Now, you can imagine if we didn't have that peace, waiting 10 hours uh, to work out whether our child is going to go into surgery, is how they're going to correct this heart defect. Uh, and as we wheeled our little boy through into, the, into the, the place where they did the examination, they strapped all these things and did all these tests on him. And the lady kept looking at us, looking at his file, looking at us, looking at his file, looking at us, looking at his file, going... Are you sure this is the right patient? Are you sure this is, and, and kept, eventually the specialist came in and he looked, she looked at him, he said, I think you've got it wrong. And he looked and he did all these things and the lady said, I can find no evidence of a heart murmur. I can find no evidence of a hole in this heart. And we knew in that moment, something supernatural had happened because the doctor was convinced. He said, no, I'm convinced. In fact, in six weeks time, I'm doing a follow-up appointment because I'm convinced that this is a problem. Six weeks, we, we discharged, they discharged our baby. Six weeks, every time my wife breastfed him, she would take her hand over his heart and just begin to say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, every time panic or fear wanted to come and she said, peace came into the room. We took him back six weeks later. The doctor who was adamant that he was right did the test again, did the test again, did the test again. He looks at it and says, well, I think we have a miracle. And literally to this day, his heart has been the most beautiful, most perfect, most whole heart we've seen. And we give praise to Jesus. Something changes when peace walks into the room. And in John chapter 20, the Bible says this. Is he, he, gave, he gave this declaration, this apostle's creed to the church. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. But he did something very important before that. He said, peace be with you. You see, because if we are going to reach our worlds, if we are going to become a solution to the problems that humanity is facing, if we're going to step into environments that are ruled by fear and anxiety and depression and hopelessness and addiction and torment and guilt and condemnation, we have got to carry something very different. It's called the peace of God. Nothing hidden, nothing lost, nothing forsaken. 
I want us to turn to um, Mark chapter 5. I'm going to talk about how do we become a, uh, a people of peace. Because I believe Grace Community Church, God has called you guys to carry peace into every environment that you're part of. And it's the peace that's going to restore marriages. It's the peace that's going to bring miracles to the places that need them. It's the peace of God, the shalom. It's the, the, that word peace is not just an emotional peace like we understand it. It's the very atmosphere of heaven. It's the very, you know, you walk into an, a, a, a space and you can pick up what's happening in the atmosphere. Imagine every single one of us were carrying the, 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 the absolute presence of God to such a degree that when people came into our atmosphere, Darkness began to flee. Sickness was healed. Every area of hopelessness encountered hope. Every area of discouragement came under the influence of that presence and everything changed. There's a beautiful account in Scripture in the Old Testament of this. And it's a story of the Ark of the Covenants uh, being carried back to David's city. And we know, I'm sure you know the story, but I'm just going to paraphrase from this point of view, is that as they carried the Ark of the Covenants, uh, one of the guys tried to steady it and he was struck down dead in that moment because flesh had touched the, the, the presence of God. Now we know in the New Testament that Jesus be, became flesh. God became flesh so that he could restore us back to that place. And so there's no more fear because the Bible says with confidence we can enter the most holy of, holy of holies. We can come in before the, the throne of grace with confidence because Jesus himself has torn the veil. But something quite amazing happened and that in that moment, David did not want to take the ark uh, back upon himself. So the ark landed up in Obed-Edom's house. Um, Obed-Edom was a Gittite, which is one of the Philistine clans. And so an enemy of Israel, an enemy of, uh, of, of, of the presence of God, yet God chose to land in the space that that didn't quite fit the, the, the mold, that didn't quite fit the, the normal place. And what happened was wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, no matter whose house or who carried it, everything began to change. The Bible says this, the Bible says where the Ark was, the house and everything in it was blessed. It came under the atmosphere, under the presence of God, and the result was it began to prosper. And I believe God's called our lives to be just like that. So we're going to look at this as to what does it look like to be a people of peace and make a few points. Is that cool? So Mark chapter 5 from verse 21 all the way through to verse 34. I'm going to read it very quickly for us uh, and then we're going to pull out a few points here. Are you right? Tell the person next to you, you've been called to carry peace. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will be alive. Don't you love this man's faith? So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. That means pressed up on him on every side. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. Can you say 12 years? Come on, you've got to work with me here. Like a South African, 12 years. 12 years. There we go. Well done. 12 years she'd had this issue, had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better. How many know this was a hopeless situation? But rather grew worse. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her, of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turns around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitudes strong you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of all your affliction. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. You see, this moment climaxed and the end result was a woman that left in peace, healed of affliction, to go and change the world. It's the same ingredients, friends. God has called us to carry peace. God has called us to be healed up of all our afflictions because it's a healed up person under the influence of the Holy Spirit that changes the world around us. We carry the life of Jesus inside of us. And it's about time, church, that we let that life leak out of us to the world around us. And it looks like peace. Let's look at a few things here. Are you with me? In South Africa, we have one of those cultures that... Uh, we do a lot of feedback with the people that we're preaching to. And so a good amen or a good, uh, that's, that's amazing, I, I got that, always helps. So please feel free to do that. But this is a story. We've got a, we've got a lady here in the midst of a difficult place in her life. And, and there's two stories going parallel here. One is of Jairus, who is a synagogue ruler. He was the one that outwardly had all things together, the religious leader. And so he was probably the ideal candidate for a miracle. If we look around us, and we do this in the church nowadays too, we size one another up and kind of see, well, according to your good acts and according to your good behavior, according to your, the amount of serving that you do in the life of the church, the amount of prayers that you pray, in fact, the eloquence of your prayers, you deserve better than I do because I'm not quite there. Ever done that? It's like we size one another up based on outward appearances and outward conduct and behavior. And friends, that all that is is religion is that our identity is proved by what we do, not by who we are. And so, and, and so we see this in this story because Jesus was on the way to perform a miracle for a man that deserved the miracle. He was a synagogue ruler. In fact, he was a chief synagogue ruler. He was an honorable man. He, he behaved right. He had all the right ingredients and had all the right checklists. Uh, he had kind of gone through the checklist and at the end of it got the 100% ready for a miracle kind of, kind of verdicts. And so Jesus was on the way to do this. And I love this story because he was interrupted by something far more powerful in the midst of this story. And that's the first point I want to make, is that in this space, this woman could offer nothing. In fact, let's just set the scene for a bit so we understand what was happening. First of all, a woman coming into an environment that was stooped in, in a hierarchical structure where men were the key people. And so here he was going to Jairus' house. That was a great place for him to go. But in the midst of this, and here we've got a woman who had an issue of blood. Under Mosaic law, if you had an issue with blood, 
You were, you, under the law, had to be separate from normal society for at least seven days or until the issue stops, until the flow of blood stops. And so in the midst of this moment, we see that here Jesus comes across somebody who, according to the law of the land, according to the custom and the culture of the day, was considered to be highly unclean. She was considered to be a reject of society because what would happen for those seven days and sometimes longer is they would take these people and they would put them outside the city, outside the camp, so that they would be separate from everybody else. So if you can imagine this moment, this is, if this is a mother, if this is a daughter, if this is a wife, she would have to be separate from the rest of her family for the period that she was unclean. Imagine the humiliation, imagine the rejection, imagine the, the, the sense of, of disconnection from normal society and, more, and normal humanity. It wasn't only seven days though, like a normal lady. This lady had been in this state perpetually for how many years? So for 12 years, she had faced ridicule, she had faced scorn, she had faced rejection, she had faced uh, isolation. In fact, when you had your period, you could not come into the temple to worship God. And so she had been rejected from the place where it was, it was supposed to be the, the most safe for her to encounter God and worship God. She had no spiritual connection. She had no emotional health. She was rejected socially by society because everyone who saw her would have proclaimed unclean, 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 unclean over her. Wow. The Lord is talking to us. In the midst of that moment, can you imagine, just close your eyes for a minute. Can you put yourself in this lady's position? Maybe we don't understand that particular affliction, but we've all carried scars where we've been rejected, where we see ourselves as unclean, where we look and all we can see in the mirror is our weaknesses. Maybe we've been rejected or outcast. Maybe we've been isolated from community. Maybe we felt like we're not wanted. Maybe we felt like I'm just a defect. I don't know why. Why am I in this place? Why have I not been healed? Why, have I, why am I considered to be unclean? You can open your eyes. Sometimes good just to see these things. Because in the middle of that, the preferred candidate for healing was the one called Jairus. But here Jesus stops and, in his, and dead in his tracks because he responds to this lady. First point I want to make is this. Is that Jesus responds to strength, but he stops for weakness. Our Father in heaven, Jesus, Holy Spirit, is not put off by our weakness. He's not afraid of the areas in our lives that we're afraid of. If people knew this about me, they wouldn't want me to be around them. I'm sure she was just going through those same arguments in her mind. Jesus wasn't concerned by that. He was stopped dead in his tracks. And I want to say this to you. First point, if we want to be a community of peace that carries peace into our environment, we've got to understand that God is not afraid of our weakness. And neither should we be afraid of one another's weaknesses. We should not be afraid of the person right and left of us 
who carries scars, who carries areas where they feel unclean, because it's that very place the Bible says that in our weakness, he is made strong. And it's the strength of God that comes into the midst of those places that perfectly illustrate the core message of the gospel, that he came to restore us back to perfection. Are you with me? As she goes on in this journey, we see that for 12 years, she had tried many things, suffered under the hands of physicians to no avail. She was in that place. I mean, you can imagine it, and I'm sure it exists in our lives today. She had tried everything and had spent all her money on trying to find a solution, but yet nothing happened. In fact, not only nothing happened, it grew worse. Can you imagine the amount of discouragement and hopelessness in the midst of that situation? The amount of disappointment. For 12 years, I have done everything humanly possible to get to a place where I once again could be healed and integrated back into society. I could once again be restored back to my family. I could once again come out of isolation and find a place of community and life, come into family. But she could not get to that place. And I'd imagine this is probably the biggest thing that most of our community are facing, is that we try all sorts of things to try and get whole, to try and get healthy, to try and fix our problems, to try and make things better. Am I right? There's not one person on the face of the earth that doesn't want their life to be better, that doesn't want the dead areas to be made alive, that doesn't want the sick areas to be healed, that doesn't want the areas that I feel rejected in to become areas I feel like I belong in. That's the core part of our humanity, is we want to be who God's called us to be. Everyone inside of us carries this, I want the best version of myself. I want the best A-grade a life. I want to move into a place where wholeness is who I am, where I'm carrying the peace and the presence of God in my life. But when we don't get it, we develop a, a mindset that it's just not possible. And the church is riddled with unbelief. It's just not possible because we try everything in our human strength to get those things that only God can give us. We try everything in our human strength. And she had tried physicians. She had gone to doctor upon doctor. And the Bible says she had suffered many things at the hands of physicians, which means it obviously wasn't an easy ride. She had probably been pricked and poked and rejected and, and, and ridiculed and saying, oh, are, you at, you, are you coming again? I thought I, I, I'd, I'd fixed you. No, it didn't work. No, it didn't work. For 12 years, she had suffered many things. And the Bible says she had lost all things in the process. So not only was she spiritually, emotionally, physically, in every area, completely rejected by society and completely undone. Now she's battling disappointment and failure. And not only that, poverty, because she has spent all her money on trying to get her healing how many people know people like that spend all our money spend all our resources spend all our energy spend all our strength spend all our physical ability on trying to get something that Jesus says those who come to me will find true life those who trust in me those who lay everything down those who choose to follow and believe the word of God above all other words that's the place I've called you to and so we see this in the midst of this place, that this lady battling failure, having spent all that she had, was no better but grew worse. And verse 27 says this, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. 
It's the defining moments as she heard about Jesus. She heard about this one who heals. She heard about the Savior of the world who was coming to restore mankind, to heal and forgive and redeem and restore all things. She heard about him. If we're going to be a people that carry the presence and peace of God into our communities, we've got to be hearing about Jesus more than we hear our problems. We've got to be so convinced about the finished work of the cross that we are so aware that every single area of sickness and disease and hopelessness and discouragement has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. That it is finished. I love the Colossians scripture and, I, and I, I'm going to read it for us just to give us a glimpse of what this looks like. Because it says this in Colossians chapter 2. It says, having spoiled or disarmed principalities and power, he made a show of them, triumphing over them in it. And that's the story of the cross. That's the story where Jesus was saying, this is the moment where I disarmed and defeated every single part of the enemy. I made a public show, a public spectacle of the enemy, and I triumphed over him in this moment. Friends, how many of us believe, because when this lady heard about Jesus, Everything changed. Her doubts, her fears, her, the way she magnified her problems, all of a sudden came to nothing because she decided this was the way, the truth, and the life. You see, for us, we have to understand that the power of Jesus lies in what he did at the cross. It's a finished work. And sometimes we read this scripture, and I want to just elaborate a bit on this just as a, as a side note for us to understand, is that that word spoils actually means here to plunder. He stripped the enemy of everything he had, especially the keys of, 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 of death and hell. And he literally returned them back to us. There's no power anymore for the enemy to imprison us in any areas. He had plundered everything. He had stripped him, that Jesus, that his death and resurrection, stripped him of everything. And it says he made a show of him. That word uh, is a Greek word that means digmatizo. If you can imagine, it means to, to exhibit as a specimen. So who here did biology? And you can imagine, the, I don't know if, if in South Africa, we, one of the projects we always have to do is we have to take a board and we have to put a whole lot of specimens of different bugs on this board and we've got to label them and put all their features in there. And that's the idea that, we, that, that the scripture is going after is that there was this exhibition moment throughout all of history 2,000 plus years ago where literally Jesus himself, God himself, exhibited as a specimen on the board the enemy. He drove something through. And so what you would do in biology is you would take your bug and you would put a nail through the bug and you would put it on a board and you would show it to the rest of your class and tell them all about this, this dead bug that's on the board. That's the very same thing that the cross did to the powers of darkness, friends. It's the very same thing that the, that the cross did to the powers of, of, of the enemy in our lives is that he took that stake and he drove it through the power of the enemy and he exhibited him as a specimen to say, look, he is dead, he is defeated, he is disarmed. He can no longer do any harm. It doesn't stop there. It says he triumphed over him in it. And that word uh, in Colossians 2 verse 15 actually comes, it's, it's a phrase. It means to make an acclamatory procession. 
And it comes from the Roman times that when they... When a, when a Roman soldier would defeat a foe, would defeat an enemy, they would take the leader of that enemy's army and they would parade him through the streets of Rome naked. It was like a sign to the rest of the, of the community that this enemy had been defeated. This enemy no longer has power to inflict any type of harm. Even the thoughts that this enemy was going to come and do something to you would be laughed at. Why? Because we've had this huge triumphant procession through our streets. And what is this, what is this, pro, this procession been declaring? That this enemy has been defeated. And so he no longer can engage in any type of warfare in your life. Warfare cannot exist between a victorious and a defeated foe. It's, it's impossible. And so this procession of triumphant procession going through the streets, uh, they would take the defeated foe through. And not only that, they would, what they would do, he would be naked so every person could jeer and, and, and throw insults at him. But more than that, they would cut off his thumb and they would cut off his big toe. Number one, he could no longer hold a sword without a thumb. Therefore, he could no longer attack. And number two, he could no longer walk. He was literally disarmed and defeated in that place. And the whole community would look at that and they would see that. And guess what? It would bring confidence that when the enemy tried to whisper lies and intimidate us through trickery, and the Bible says the wiles of the enemy, the people in that procession could stand and go, but didn't we see him two months ago and he had no arm? I mean, he had no thumbs, which means he, he couldn't use his arms. He had no toes. He couldn't walk. He was defeated. He was humiliated. He was mocked and scorned and shamed. Therefore, how on earth can we believe this report that the enemy is coming to destroy us? They would stand up with confidence and laugh, which is the posture that we should be carrying as a church. You see, for many of us, we've missed that procession. We still think the enemy has power. We still think that the enemy has authority. He has been disarmed and defeated at the cross, friends. The Bible declares it is finished. Death, sickness, depression, hopelessness, addiction has been defeated at the cross. It only exists because we choose to still believe it exists. Friends, we've got to be like those in this procession, this triumphant, acclamatory procession that looks at our defeated foe and says, by the cross, I understand that Jesus triumphed over sickness and, and, and death. And he rose and he takes us through, through baptism into that place where we're seated with him in heavenly places. And from that place, we begin to rule, friends. Jesus had heard, this lady had heard about Jesus and something changed. Are you hearing about Jesus? in the midst of your difficult moments, in the midst of your hardest circumstances, and are things changing? I remember this in my life came to a head in one moment. Uh, my brother-in-law, my, my, my wife's sister's husband, um, they were on staff with us at the church, pastors with us, and they had just taken the decision to uh, leave pastoral ministry and go after uh, being what they called musicianaries, which is traveling all the way around the world, worshiping and bringing people into encounters with God. And about a week into this new journey, full of excitement, full of passion, uh, we had prayed them out. We had sown into their ministry. We had sent them uh, to go around the world and to release just the, the, the presence of God into environments. 
is we get this call. It's a public holiday. And so we're in our pajamas having one of those days. You know one of those days that you don't get out of your pajamas until it's bedtime? And then you ch- never, never been in that place. Huh? Okay. Your mom's saying no. So, <laughs> so in that space, uh, in that moment, we were in that, uh, just that very chilled out phase. We get this phone call from my wife's sister to say, Andrew, that's his name, uh, is in hospital and he's just had a major heart attack. 40, I think by then was maybe 41 or 42 years old. And so, of course, in that moment, panic sets in. And I remember in the, uh, just completely going blank in my mind. Like we couldn't even put on our, our jeans. We couldn't even find our car keys because there was just this panic mode. Uh, he's got three kids. One of them at that stage was probably about nine months old. And, and he had a major heart attack, full cardiac arrest. But the grace in the story was that it happened on his way to hospital. He'd had the heart attack in half an hour before, and he thought it was just some heartburn, and so he was going to check himself into hospital. And literally, as he hit the, the AE ward, and as he sat down on the bed, he went into full cardiac arrest, where the machine went flatlined all the way through. And as we're driving down, our, our responsibility was to pick up his daughter and bring her to the hospital panic. I remember driving down and saying, God... What is it that you want to do in this situation? And I had an open vision, literally, before my very eyes. It was like a movie screen before my very eyes, where it looked like the clouds opened up, and I saw the most incredible picture of a lion stepping into the midst of where we were and roaring, and and all across the floor, these little black bugs and insects just scattering on every side. There's a scripture like that which says, which talks about uh, the enemy being scattered at the roar of the, of the line of Judah. And I remember looking at this open vision and just try, and praying, praying and saying, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And getting to the emergency room, completely confident that we had a defeated enemy. Completely confident that he was disarmed and defeated, that the resurrection power of Jesus carried us into a new realm that was above powers and principalities. I remember in that moment being confident that God was going to do a miracle. Staking in my boots, uh, my mother-in-law was there, um, and, and we were praying. And I remember walking into the ward, because in South Africa, they allow pastors to go into emergency rooms. How beautiful is that? And we were sitting there, and I remember grabbing his hand like this. And I, and I looked him in the eye, and I said, Andrew, you are not dying today because Jesus has a different plan. And we began to pray and declare life into every part of his body. For 40 minutes, they were doing CPR. There was no sign of life. It, literally, there was a flat line on the machine. The cardiologist had arrived by that point. They had done all sorts of tests. Uh, the cardiologist had, had said, and, and, and subsequently on discussions, has said, after 20 minutes, I knew he was dead. But I carried on because I knew that there was a family fighting for his life. And so he carried on for 30 minutes, 35 minutes. He said at 40 minutes, I literally at that point was going to just say that's enough. Like we can't do anything here anymore. And as we were in that room, 40 minutes or just before 40 minutes, he sat up and he pulled all the pipes and the tubes and everything out of his mouth and the heart monitor began to go again. It was a sign in that moment of the resurrection power of Jesus that came into a dead body and brought it back to life again. Friends, if you're in that moment, it changes your perspective on life. Because at that moment, I saw the power of resurrection. 
And friends, that is what we walk in. The Bible says we are filled with resurrection power. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive in the person next to you. Because surely, like Jairus, they're the better candidate. They don't have issues. Just like, because we see our own issues. We don't see other people's. You know, we, we look at everyone else's highlights, but we can see our highlights and our lowlights because we see into ourselves. And often we disqualify ourselves from resurrection life. But friends, it's got nothing to do with us. It's got to do with what he did, not what you did. He performed a miracle on that cross. He broke the power of sin and darkness. He broke the power of death, the restriction, the greatest restriction that ever existed before mankind. He broke its power. And guess what? The Bible says we are raised to life in Christ. You and I, whether you feel it, whether you know it, you carry resurrection life. And all that God is waiting for you to do is to walk into that place and say yes, like this lady. I say that because the, next very, the very next verse here, it says, when she heard about this, she said this, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. You see, I love the fact, and I think this is where God is bringing the church to, is that we have no other option but to trust in Jesus. You know, the modern day church these days, we have so many backup plans. We have so many other ways. You know, I'm sick. Okay, well, there, there's a whole lot of other things I can do but trust in God. I don't have, I lack, I have this issue. There's so many other things that we have in our lives that become the place that we exalt in our lives. And God's saying, if you want to be a community of peace that carries the gospel powerfully, that carries resurrection life into your community, we've got to get to a place where there's no other option but Jesus. I asked you the question this morning, are we like this lady? I said, if only I may touch his garments, then I will be made well. Remember under the law, this lady touching somebody else would make them unclean. And I love this story so much because when we touch Jesus, he doesn't become unclean, we become clean. It's like the other way around. He's not scared of you touching him in the midst of your darkest moments. He's not afraid of your greatest pain. He's not afraid of your greatest shame. He's not afraid of your biggest mistakes. He's not afraid of the place that you've messed up. But what we do when we go through those things is we try and hide ourselves away from God and we hide ourselves away from each other because somehow we believe that we are unclean. But this lady knew if she touched Jesus, she would become clean. He was, his, he, he was the only option here. And friends, I want to encourage you, a community of peace has Jesus as the only option. She came, and the Bible says, immediately. The fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of affliction. And so right in that moment, she had a physical healing, but it doesn't, doesn't stop there. In that moment, immediately. Can we say immediately? This is not, let me pray and hope so. This is immediately. Wherever Jesus encountered sickness, sickness had to bow to superiority, which was healing. The cross has bought for us radical access to resurrection life and healing. And immediately, sickness was dealt with. He said, who did this? Who touched me? And he looked around to see who it was. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. You see, I think one of the other things that a, a community of, of peace 
a place where, where people can encounter the love of Jesus does, is that this lady knew she had come from an environment where the law had rejected her, had caused separation from the rest of the community. And I think sometimes we do that in our lives. We want to separate ourselves from those that are non-believers, those who are not Christian. Am I right? Uh, we like the separation. We like the distance. We like the, uh, where, where I'm just scared that they're, they're going to, you know, they're unclean. I'm clean under the, you know, under the new covenants of Jesus. And somehow what's in them is going to catch on me. Friends, the ministry of Jesus is the other way around. Jesus always brought cleanness to the unclean. It wasn't the other way around. The law makes us think that, but that's not how it works. Because where people encounter the reality of Jesus, something changes inside of them. And how are they going to encounter that? Through you and I. And so we see in this moment, this lady in the public space, which was probably the first time she had been in a public space. Because remember, the law would have pushed her out the community separate for seven days, but now for 12 years. She had spent 12 years on her own. She didn't know the social protocol. She didn't know how these nice, neat rows looked in the church world. She didn't know how to say amen and, and, uh, and hallelujah and all these things that we expect people to know. She didn't have the right lingo in the church world. She probably had a whole lot of uh, nasty things coming out of her mouth. That was the way that she was, you know, she was excluded from society. But in this moment, she comes to Jesus and Jesus doesn't just heal her. He restores her in every way. Because what does she do? He says, who did this? I want to see her. I don't just want to perform a miracle. I want to bring her into relationship with me. The goal of healing is not so we can have a whole lot of healing trophies on our wall. It's so we can bring people into relationship with God. Healing communicates that he loves you. He's got you. And so in that space, he says, who did this? And what was her response? What was her response? with fear and trembling. How many people out there are scared to just be themselves and come into this space because they're gonna get judged? She'd been so used to being excluded. She'd been so used to being judged by her uncleanness. She'd been so used to being rejected by the community saying, you are just not good enough to be part of this because of your issue. How many of us do that to people around us? You see, the culture of fear and trembling that exists in the worlds that is needing desperate need of Jesus exists because we don't represent the heart of Jesus to people. We often treat them like the Lord does. You are not good enough. Move away. Rather than, I've come so that you may find life and life to the full. And in that moment, fear and trembling she steps over that line. And I love that. This is a bold lady. She doesn't look at fear and trembling and, and, and run away. She steps over it and says she pours out the whole truth. One of the things that's happening in our church and, and, and God is literally liberating and bringing freedom to so many people is we've got these small groups that we gather they're called community groups. And the whole aim of these community groups is not to do Bible studies and all those kind of things. That's, we do that in plenty of other environments. The whole aim of these groups is that you can let the walls down, that you can let your guards down and you can tell your story and you can bring the whole truth into a safe space. 
And so what's happening is these groups are gathering. Every night, someone gets a chance to share their story, just like this lady. And they go through when they were born and all the way through and just, and just some of the pain, some of the hurts, some of the places they felt rejected, some of the places they were outcast, some of the places that they, were, um, they just never felt like they measured up. And there's a safe place. It's almost like the Garden of Eden moments where you can be naked, you can let everything out and have no shame. Because in this environment, Jesus has mocked and scorned shame at the cross and now he elevates you to a position of son. You carry value, you're accepted, you're loved, you're approved. And in these environments, at the end of their story, everybody gathers around them and begins to declare over them, you're a son or daughter of God. You are loved, you're accepted, you're approved, you're not a mistake, you're part of, you're part of something bigger and literally brings them into a place of honor in the midst of those groups. They're safe places. They're places of vulnerability. They're places of real discussion. And we're seeing this very thing happen. Instead of fear and trembling, when she came to let the whole truth out, we are seeing people let the whole truth about who they are out and find unconditional love. Because what did Jesus do in this moment? And I end with this. What did Jesus do in this moment? This was the high points where everything inside of her was probably feeling like a second-rate person still. Yes, she had been healed, but she'd had 12 years of people telling her that she wasn't good enough, of pushing her out of community, of isolating her from love, of pushing her into environments that say, you are a failure, you can't even be healed by doctors, of trying everything and her problem growing worse. It's like, imagine that moment. You know, for 12 years, imagine you've tried something and it's never worked and it's growing worse. What would you think of yourself? Like, I am just, I'm just such a loser because not even the doctors can help me. Nothing can work in my life. And in the midst of that place, in the midst of that shame that, would, that literally had gripped her heart like a cancer and was infecting her from the inside, poor self-esteem, poor self-image, poor identity. I don't know who I am. I'm just unclean, 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 unclean. In the midst of that, Jesus turns around to her when she was in fear and trembling, bringing the whole truth, saying, but, but I'm healed now, but I still feel like I'm so full of shame. I still feel like an outcast. I still feel like I'm not good enough. I still feel like I'm just a, a, a second-rate citizen. In the midst of that, she turns around to her, and what does he say to her? He says, daughter. Friends, it's the same things he's saying over our lives. In the midst of our darkest mistakes, in the midst of our deepest pain, in the midst of our greatest rejection, in the midst of our most difficult wrestles in our lives, he turns around in the midst of that when we choose to bring the whole truth into the light of God, where we're not hiding anything, nothing hidden, nothing broken, nothing lost, that's the peace of God. Friends, the reason we don't carry peace is because we are trying to micromanage our lives on the inside and not letting them be exposed to the grace of God. Not letting them be exposed to Jesus. Nothing hidden. Can I tell you the most gracious and the greatest place to live? I remember the first time that I joined one of these groups and I shared my story. There were things in that story as a pastor, as a lead in our community that I'd never shared with anybody else. But I can tell you, when I began to talk about my struggles, my pain, the areas that I had literally felt like a second-rate citizen, and yes, we all carry them. I looked at my mistakes. I brought all of those things, the whole truth, in fear and trembling before the feet of Jesus. 
And the group turned around under the power of the Holy Spirit and began to say, son, you're loved, you're approved, you're good enough because of Jesus. Something broke off in me and peace filled that space. I walk into environments now and I don't have to prove myself anymore. I don't have to make myself feel good because peace resides in that space because nothing's hidden, nothing's lost, nothing's broken. Peace be with you. And what does he say? In the midst of that place, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of all your affliction. It wasn't just about the issue of blood. It was about every bit of pain inside of her heart that in that moment, peace came in and she left that. And I can tell you right now that this lady was the greatest evangelist that this culture had ever seen. Because when you have encountered the love of God in the midst of your darkest place, guess what happens? You don't keep quiet about it. You don't sit back and just attend church on a Sunday morning. Every part of your work life, your friendship circles, your kids, your family, every part of who you are comes under the influence of peace, the presence of God, the shalom of heaven, and people start picking it up. People start asking questions. Why are you so happy? I've got no pain there anymore. Why are you so at peace? I'm not trying to make this thing work in my own strength. I've let grace come in something begins to change. And I believe this morning God wants to release peace on us. He wants us to be confident enough in Jesus to bring the whole truth before the grace of God. Friends, it was not easy. I remember telling a whole group of people in these story sessions about my, my deep pain when my father, who I really didn't know for most of my life, decided to walk out on us. The deep pain of watching my parents' marriage be destroyed by multiple affairs, being gripped with addiction, alcohol, and pornography, and all these things. I started to bring these things, this whole truth, into this company of safe people that understood the power of Jesus. I started to tell them about the areas I felt like I just wanted to die and take my own life. And in the midst of those moments, I heard the voice of Jesus saying, this is my son. The voice of the father saying, this is my son whom I love. I'm so well pleased with. And friends, we've got to hear that voice in the midst of these moments that sometimes we like to hide away. The more we hide them, the less we can operate in peace and presence and the less lives can be impacted through us. One of you can close your eyes for a minute. I want to ask you this question. What area in your life right now needs to encounter this peace that passes all understanding? That needs to come under the influence of Jesus again. Maybe it's an area you've been trusting God for so long and it feels like so out of reach. It's so hopeless to even believe that God wants to set me free in that area. And when you've got it, I want you to just raise your hand because I'm going to pray a general prayer for all of us, but you're going to make it real for you. And we're going to trust God this morning, like this lady, that healing can come into our lives and God can set us free. Wonderful. 
I can ask someone just to jump on the keyboard for me. Because this is not about me praying for you. This is about you encountering the grace, the forgiveness, the healing that Jesus purchased on the cross for you. That's the power of Jesus. It is finished. It is finished. Sickness is finished. And I'm going to start there because I believe God wants to heal some people physically today. Physically, physical healing. Uh, I, keep, I keep sensing that there, there is digestive issues that God wants to heal today. It's almost like esophagus and swallowing and, and, um, and just the digestion of food has been an issue and it's caused a whole lot of problems in your life. Is that anyone? Just raise your hand. I want to pray. Thank you very much. I want you to lay your hands on the area that needs healing. Just those two people that responded. I, I see it. Is it esophagus? Anyone? That's the word I had. And I feel like right now there's a fire. There's a, there's a heat coming through your esophagus. And it's God's literally restoring the areas that have been broken down. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask, Lord, that every digestive tract, every part of our digestive system, every part of this esophagus would be healed in the name of Jesus. And Father, you would restore, restore right now in Jesus' name. Restore. Even if it's been years and years, just like this lady, Father, the length of a problem doesn't dictate how you want to heal. Father, in a moment, immediately she was set free. And I say immediately right now in the name of Jesus, be set free and be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed and that voice be released right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. I just feel like there are, this is, I'm, I'm sure you've been, this is, the Holy Spirit works in us. He gives us words of knowledge. They're supernatural words to, to help us to, to pray, to help us to walk in step with the Spirit. And these are just words that I'm sensing in God. I may be wrong, uh, but I don't mind that because I know I'm God's favorite. Just like you and I. Person right and left, you are all God's favorites. And so we mess up in this. It doesn't matter because God celebrates our risks that we're taking. But I want to pray for a couple here who are really struggling in marriage. And you don't have to put up your hands because I know this is quite sensitive. But I feel like God is saying to you in this area that His love is sufficient for you. His love is sufficient. And as you encounter the love of God again, that love is going to fuel your love and your marriage. It's almost like it's like you've drifted from the love of God. Like, I don't know that I'm loved anymore. It's just become too difficult. But right now, God is bringing healing into that very space where you feel that you are unloved. And He's saying, be filled with my love so that you can adequately love your spouse. Because you've tried to fill that space with your spouse's love and it's been insufficient. And so right now, Father, across marriages, and maybe one or two, but I feel like there's one couple in particular here and I'd love to speak to you afterwards. I don't, and the reason I'm doing this is because I don't want to humiliate you. But God says, bring the whole truth before me. 
Stop hiding behind all sorts of excuses because I want to restore your marriage. You deserve to be loved. You deserve to feel like you're the most treasured possession in this marriage and not like a second-rate citizen. Father, right now, I release the healing power of Jesus into marriages. Father, restore connection. Father, restore intimacy right now, Father. Father, restore right now, Father, every area of unlove. I'm unlovable. Father, change that to I am more than worthy of love. Father, restore marriages right now. Restore marriages. Restore marriages. you up to the front if you want me to pray individually for you. But I want to pray for addictions. God wants to set some people free from addiction today. Addiction is anything that masters you other than Jesus. It's something you can't say no to. It captivates. It imprisons and there's usually a whole lot of shame attached to it, which means that people knew this about me. The, the lie of shame is, if people knew this, they wouldn't want me around. They wouldn't love me. I'm just not good enough. Can I tell you? The gospel, the Bible says that Jesus mocked and scorned shame. In other words, Jesus himself took upon that feeling of I'm not good enough himself at the cross so we could enter into a place of sonship, which means you're more than good enough. You're loved, you're accepted, you're approved. So I wonder if we can have some bolds. I'm not gonna ask what it is. Just raise your hand. I'm caught in the grip of addiction right now. I know there are one or two people here. I'm caught in this cycle of addiction that I just can't seem to break free. Today is your day, friends. Jesus, like this lady, wants to immediately set you free, that you can come into wholeness and freedom. If that's you, just quickly raise your hand. It's a sign saying, God, that's me. That's me. Whatever it is, that's me. Thank you very much. I want you to take that addiction right now. Just close your eyes. I want you to lay it at the feet of Jesus. So whatever it is, laid at the feet of Jesus. And Father, right now in this moment, I break all agreement with addictions. I break all hold that addictions have over minds and hearts right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I proclaim freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom in Jesus' name. Father, every area that is under the control of an addictive nature, Father, right now bring freedom in the name of Jesus and set the captives free in this house this morning in Jesus' name. Set them free. Set them free right now in Jesus' name. 
Father, I thank you that you would replace that emptiness with a radical love of God. Father, the Holy Spirit right now, fill every single heart right now in that space in Jesus' name. church, God has called you to be a people of peace, that you live from an internal peace. Nothing's hidden. If there's stuff hidden, I want to encourage you, find one of your leaders and just say, I want to bring this stuff out. I want to set myself free in this moment. I want to bring these things into the light. I want to, like this lady, bring the whole truth before Jesus, even though I'm scared. I'm fear and trembling. Even though it's been 12 years like this lady, it's been so long I've been in this place. I want to just, I want to find healing. Nothing hidden. Nothing lost. Nothing broken. That's the definition of peace in the Hebrew. Because that is our inheritance in Christ. Let's stand together. Father, across this room right now, if you feel comfortable just to raise your hands, please do that as a, as a posture of surrender and I'm receiving right now. Father, across this room, I want to ask as Jesus walked into that room with the disciples full of fear, he said, peace be with you. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that Father, the peace of God would fill every single heart in this auditorium this morning. In this hall, Father, there would be not one person that does not encounter the beautiful peace of God. Release your peace into troubled waters. Release your peace into chaotic minds, Father. Release your peace into the areas of fear and anxiety right now in Jesus' name. Father, I remove anxiety and fear off minds and hearts right now in Jesus' name. And I release the peace of God to grip our hearts once again, Father. The areas of shame and guilt and condemnation, Father, I remove off of shoulders right now the weights of guilt. And Father, I ask for the beautiful presence, the loving presence of our Father, the peace of God to be released. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Right now, Holy Spirit. Ah, I pray for an ease and a lightness, a sense of peace to come across, across this room right now.